And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, you are now tuned into anything potable, the most honorable, the most audible. Hold the applause, like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital, like Antoine when he shimmied after shots went through. So tell me why you mad even? Your team gonna be sad leaving after matching up with Brad Stevens. Champion contenders, we drop twice a week like you trying to guard Kemba. <laughs> your team whack and your players whacker. I got the inside scoop after hanging up with Jay and Packer. Okay, we about chips here. I'm talking about this year, banner 12 plus 6 here. Fast PP. Top rookie, I'm saying it now. Ain't playing around with Tatum. We off the charts, but you gotta play it market smart. Close out, cause he pulling up from Harvard Yard. Gang green, it's no other way. So tune in to the pod if you plan on staying up to date. You heard? <laughs> AJ, I, I see you, player. She. Welcome to the Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Jam Packer, professional sports fan, and I am joined, as always, by the kid, the god, the legend himself, Celtics beat reporter from The Athletic, Jay King, ladies and gentlemen. And the Celtics were coming to you on a Tuesday afternoon. The Celtics lost a close game to the Bulls last night with Kemba Walker uh, Marcus Smart, both being out with a sickness. Robert well- Robert Williams was also out. We got starting Peyton Pritchard, starting Shemi Ojale, and they did not uh, win the game. But I think if you can tell from my voice, I'm still basking in the afterglow, the positivity that was the old Jason, afterglow. The old afterglow after Jason Tatum outduels Steph Curry, who's in the middle of an insane run right now. Steph Curry makes 11 threes. Some wild ones down the uh, stretch that of that game. That nonsense. I know it wasn't a three, but oh, wow. He had a lot of just uh, kind of nonsense. A lot of what he does on this run is just absurd, and it's just – I don't know how you play defense against him. But the Celtics, Jason Tatum scoring. Marcus Smart made some huge plays. Kemba Walker knocked down some big shots. It was a great kind of team performance where – they came back multiple times in that game at the end of the first half. They cut it to, I think, eight. They came back for down eight again. Like, there are a lot of runs that the Warriors went on, and the Celtics kind of answered every time and made a lot of clutch plays. And so, with a great basketball game like that on Saturday night, I'm going to hold on to that afterglow rather than focusing on the injury fest that was Monday night. I mean, that, that is your right. That is your prerogative. You can do what you want. Thank you. And, and there were a lot of reasons for the Bulls' loss. The Celtics were without three of their better playmakers. And, you know, they've been succeeding without Evan Fournier for a while. But when you also lose Kemba Walker and Marcus Smart, it just puts a lot of pressure on Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and allows teams to really load up on them and and send more pressure their way than they ever would be able to otherwise. So I, I think 
Tatum felt that the most. And you could see his first bad shooting performance in like a month. Three for 17. He had a triple-double, but it was like nobody cared. He didn't get asked a single question about his first career triple-double after in the post-game press conference. Probably as it should be because they lost. But, yeah, he was able to get 10 assists because they were really forcing the ball out of his hands. And the Celtics don't didn't have any really other options in that game. We saw Point Romeo. Uh, we saw a lineup to start the second quarter that was, frankly, absurd. Uh, what was it? Romeo, Neesmith, Grant, Jabari Parker, and Luke Cornett. Like, just Brad just ran out that lineup uh, to start the second quarter. Point Romeo, he made, like, two nice passes, but that's just not normally where he what he does on the court whatsoever. And so it's hard to be like, yeah, I, I expected the Celtics to only score 36 points across uh, the second and third quarter. I didn't expect that, but I was yeah, not surprised their offense was bad considering who what players they had. That stretch with Romeo was particularly gross offense. Like it wasn't he, good. <laughs> He very clearly had little idea how to get the Celtics into sets and how to sort of probe a defense. Um, there were multiple times when he just, not just him, but the entire offense looked lost um, while he was in charge of it. So I, he obviously has a long way to go in that role, but I think it was really interesting that Brad Stevens said after the game, that they intend to play him in an Evan Turner type role at some point in the future, not this year because Romeo is not ready for it, but at some point in the future, we've talked about this a little bit before about if, if Romeo can play even a quasi point guard role, then it changes the lineups you can use. You can use huge lineups. You can use Peyton Pritchard at the two. You can play a smaller guard next to Romeo if you want. You can get defensive-minded lineups with like Romeo, uh, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Evan Fournier, like big old wing lineups. Um, so you you can really do a lot of things if he becomes that player at some point. And then also, I think it would make it would limit the impact of his bad shooting. Like he may never become a good shooter. He's made eight threes over forty games in his NBA career, but Missed if, a big one. If uh, you have the ball in his hands, then that's a lot less hurtful to your team because then you can surround him with shooting and and make it all work, make the spacing work. So I think that's that's like really important for him to become a point guard based on you know his his physical attributes and the lack of shooting he's shown so far. Is that like a realistic expectation for him? I've never in the past really thought of like Romeo Langford as the point guard of the future, or like the lead ball handler. I just don't know. I mean, what he's nineteen years old, so of course anything can be added to his game. And oh, like, he's, he's going to stay nineteen forever too. I was just guessing. What is he? Twenty? Twenty-one. Twenty-one. Still, he can keep doing, uh, adding to his game. And we've seen players like Jalen Brown add something every single year. I just have not like thought of Romeo as a like the point guard of the future. It. I don't even does it, is that in his game? I don't know. I feel like he's more of an attacker of the basket. I've never seen him as like a playmaker, but again, he's only 19 at Indiana and was pretty good at it. 
um, and was pretty good as a very young freshman in a tough conference. So I, there's there's talent there. Um, whether he could be the shot maker needed to play that role, whether he can be the distributor needed to play that role, like there's a lot he'll need to figure out in that. Um, but Evan Turner have, just needs to take him under his wing and mold him as his just son. Mold him, mold him. Et Et had like Et the crazy veteran. Fifteen percent shooters can be lethal. Because Et had the crazy like patience in his game. By the time he got to the Celtics, where he was just like very much in control of the offense. It does not seem like Romeo is like in control of the game and like can probe the defense and knock down those like little mid range or just the ET was a playmaker. We were spoiled by the Evan Turner era. Yeah, ET. It was a good, that was a fun era. You know, he showed up. He was sort of like the Jabari Parker signing. He showed up and his stock was at an all time low. Former number two overall pick and. He refound his love for the game of basketball while with the Celtics, and Brad Stevens was able to put him in positions that that maximized him, and that was as the point guard role that they're or a quasi point guard role they're hoping Romeo Langford grows into. I think for Romeo, that's something like that is really important because he has to figure out a way to be productive on offense. His because he's already kind of there on defense in terms of making an impact. He's like continue every time he gets in the game, he makes some sort of defensive impact in terms of hustle or like blocks or something. He's there defensively, but you're right. Yeah. So it's, it's really important for him to like find some niche offensively. Like, what is he? He's averaging. It's like, not shooting. It's not shooting at this point. Yeah. He, he, he's very rarely shooting. He's scoring. He's scored 7.5 points per 36 minutes over the 41 games he's played in the NBA. Like that is, Nothing. That is probably less than Shemi Ojale numbers, probably substantially less than Shemi Ojale numbers. So he needs to find something. And I think, you know, if you can tap into the length and the athleticism and the IQ, then point guard could be a way to do it. But it's way down the line. It's just like something that's that's interesting to think of for a career path for a guy who kind of has like a a weird, unique little game. Yeah, it's just it's he's a very important person for the Celtics future ceiling just because he's a guy you have on a rookie contract for a certain number of time. You hey, it's like supposed to have a high ceiling. And so if they can turn him into someone who can play around, be on basically be on the court at the same time and be useful next to Tatum and Brown, it's just a huge piece for them uh moving forward. You mentioned the Jabari Parker signing. How surprised were you to get that Shams update on Friday afternoon? Because I did not see that coming whatsoever. Yeah, I didn't see that one either. Uh, but, but like, in retrospect, it, it made sense, you know? It, did it make sense after he scored 11 points against the Warriors? Or did no, it make it, sense it made, uh, Friday afternoon? It made sense prior to that. Because, really, you the Celtics had to get rid of nothing. Mo Wagner was out of the rotation. <laughs> they needed, I thought you were going to say they needed to get rid of Mo Wagner. He was no, just no, ruining everything. Get rid of him. Like he's, a, he's been a fine player. But he was fourth in their center rotation, maybe fifth if you include Grant Williams in that tally. And there was no scenario, unless things went drastically wrong, that Mo Wagner was going to be playing important minutes for the Celtics this season. So Luke Cornett came that, in and established himself as that fourth-string center early that and game just, against OKC might have saved his job. It really might have. It, it's Mo Wagner. I mean, 
Luke Cornett reaching out and demanding that. That's him taking that job from Mo Wagner. Yeah, the murder Cornett just deaded off Mo Wagner. Danny uh, Ainge calls him Big Bird. Yeah, that, you can't publicly say you call a man Big Bird. <laughs> he calls Romy, uh, Romeo Romy, which I just all he found weird. He Romeo Snuffleupagus. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just a little Sesame Street humor. You know. Classic stuff. Uh, but what, what was it? Oh, Jabari. Yeah, I, I just think it, it's a smart signing because he, like, ever since Gordon Hayward left, the Celtics have been looking for a power forward with size and ball skills. Those guys are tough to find. You know, they went out, they they went after Aaron Gordon a little bit before the trade deadline. Obviously, he, they didn't get him. Um, they ended up with Evan Fournier, who doesn't have the bulk to be a, a power forward. I think they they see Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown as two and three um, in like ideal situations and so if you can get a power forward um who can score the ball and jabari what is he already their second best bench scorer like he walked in off the streets as their second best bench scorer i would say i would probably have pritchard there just because i think he's a better i don't know i've seen it more with pritchard jabari's had two games yeah i just don't know if he's going to continue to put up the number like performances he has for but but he the point is like he's a high upside guy who the Celtics didn't have to risk much to get. They have him on a very small guarantee for next season. So if things work out, then awesome. They have a guy on a minimum contract who can get buckets off the bench and give them a different dynamic with his size and athleticism. And if things don't work out, then whatever. Like then we just lost our chance deal. at Mo Wagner, you know. But like as as bad as it's gotten for him in his career, and there have been stops when it's been pretty bad. He's always been a bucket when he's gotten on the court. Like he's been out of shape sometimes. He's been up and down in rotations, but he's always put the ball in the hoop. And the Celtics he's kicked the shit out of the Celtics a few times. I feel like either with the Bulls or with the Bucks, But there's some times where he can just absolutely score. I think it, it's a good signing. It just makes sense from a, a roster construction thing. We've seen like the Celtics season change when they got away from just centers and point guards and they added some wings. But the kind of the competent wings they have right now are Grant Williams and Romeo Langford, who are both in there for their defense. And so I think that's improved the defense a bunch, but you're not getting a lot of points from either of those guys. And so to bring in Jabari Parker – Someone who you can possibly play at center, but still play it and give you size and athleticism. And he's not a great, the best defensively, but you can still switch and just have a lot of wings and still have an offensive threat is just not something that they they've had at all. Like their best offensive power forward uh, was what Daniel Tice earlier in the year, or anytime Jason Tatum's playing like power forward, they haven't had a, uh, scoring option off the bench that gives them any size and so just his physical presence alone I think will be helpful and that's like one of the major reasons I think he was in down the stretch against the Warriors it's just because who else are you gonna especially down Jalen Brown like you need some sort of offense uh from guys not named I guess Tatum and he was just a better option right then uh than Grant Williams who I think has played solid but his shooting is just his offense is just isn't there yeah, and you see the Celtics taking swings 
on versatile guys. You know, they've used their last two lottery picks on long, versatile wings in Romeo Langford and Aaron Neesmith. Then they went out and got Evan Fournier at the trade deadline. And they hope to re-sign him after his contract expires following this season. Then they go out and get Jabari Parker. And it's like, if, if Fournier stays and if one or two of the other guys pans out, whether Romeo turns into a player or Neesmith turns into a player or they can untap Jabari Parker's potential and he turns into a player, if just a couple of those things pan out, then all of a sudden you go from a roster that had like very little depth in versatility and on the wing to, okay, there are now a lot of tools for Brad Stevens to mix and match lineups, to play scoring, to get shooting, to have big athletic guys on the court at all times, even when Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are not in the game. And I think that's really important. And there's no promise that any of them will work out, but the Celtics, like they're taking swings at, and they have chances to develop those types of players, which, I mean, we saw it at the beginning of this season. You need those types of guys. It's not enough to have all centers and all point guards coming off the bench. That's just not going to cut it in, in the, the NBA the way it is today. Yeah. I think, I think that's, interesting or I guess I wasn't too surprised to have Jabari play minutes in his first game because the Celtics only have 14 games left in the regular season and given that they have so much more wing depth now than they ever did earlier in the year it's going to be interesting to me especially when Fournier comes back he was on the bench last night um in jeans wearing some sort of velvet blouse looking cool in French um but he should be back soon it's going to be interesting to me to see like what the rotation is going forward into the playoffs and just they have 14 games to kind of like figure out what pairings or what groups work together. Uh, whose minutes do you think suffered the most when uh, Fournier returns? Because it feels like Fournier is going to get at least like 25 minutes a game. Does that mean Romeo just doesn't see plus, it? I, I bet um, once he gets back from – so give me the, the ideal playoff rotation if everyone's healthy. You've got the obvious starters, Tristan Thompson, Evan Fournier, and – And mix and match. And so just Peyton Pritchard, Langford, Grant, Jabari. I think Pritchard will probably see some minutes. I think Romeo in certain matchups will play. I think a lot of it will depend on who's playing well. Like, do you need physicality? Okay, maybe Grant Williams is in there. Do you need a bucket? Okay, maybe Jabari Parker's in there. Do you need a solid defender? Romeo Langford. You know, like, they'll have options now. And I think that's kind of the point of some of the the acquisitions they've made is that earlier this season, it was like, what are we going to do? We're going to put Jeff Teague and Peyton Pritchard out there. We're going to play two center lineups. We're going to do all these things that Brad Stevens does not want to do. And now it's like, okay, Brad can kind of tinker and mix and match and figure out what he wants. Um, but, you know, when Fournier's back, it's kind of like last season, the Celtics, they won't have to go deep in their bench at all because they'll have, you know, five perimeter guys playing. They have five starting caliber wings, basically, yeah, playing at least 30 minutes a game. Probably 35 plus minutes in the playoffs. There's so you just be many minutes for the other guys, I don't think. Um, 
so you just switch those five guys around and basically then sometimes it's Tristan Thompson. Sometimes it's um, Robert Williams. It's like pretty easy. Then you have these four options who kind of give you uh, different things to slide in based on the matchup. I think it's like the versatility and kind of the Swiss army knife you would want if you're Brad Stevens, like, and who knows, maybe he can just pull uh pull out the start Tremont waters in the fourth quarter, a little nugget that he pulled out against the bulls which seemed to work. That was just a fun uh, moment to happen in the season. Tremont is the most ambitious basketball player uh, I've ever seen. He always believes in himself, uh, and he just is constantly getting shots up. And when it works, it was fantastic. He had a great fourth quarter, and basically it was a, one of the major reasons they kind of crept back into that game. Just got to give a shout-out to Tremont. Yeah, I, I was happy for him because – like I, it felt like every time in his rookie season, he didn't shoot well during his rookie season, but but he shot threes. He, he launched. He had a high he, volume. He launched, but but he showed some promise, you know. And I feel like this season, it's been tougher going for him for whatever reason. The 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 opportunities haven't been as sharp, or he hasn't been as sharp with his opportunities. Well, I think he's also gotten less opportunities just because Pritchard's there. Too. Yeah, for for sure. Um, and so, and then he, you know, he, he was part of that unit that almost blew the Lakers game. And <laughs> Brad Stevens came out and said he was not good in the Lakers game. Which yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> he was not. He, he was, was not. It was not. a fair assessment from Brad, but a little meaner than we normally hear from him. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was good to see him do that and play well. And he, he really did almost bring them back. Like, wasn't just the offense. It was like how many deflections did he have like three or four the one play was just so unlucky that turned out to be sort of a backbreaker when he deflected it into the backcourt chased after it barely didn't get it and then the bulls took advantage at the other end with a three in the corner by garrett temple that was just bad bad luck um on a great play by Tremont water so i thought he that they were that was his best stretch of the season probably by a long shot. I can't remember another one that was better. If is there? No, I mean that's the, the biggest Tremont moment, I think. I think he was got in like at a very early game, but it also kind of sucks for him and Taco to just not have the G League this year cuz I feel like they got a lot more experience last year and a lot more minutes and just to improve and so they basically have been riding the bench this year. I'm sure it's probably been more difficult for them to kind of make an impact when they play. So I've, I've got to talk about taco for a second. Well, just, a little, just a little taco anecdote during games. He sits on the end of the bench and a lot of the times he'll have a ball in his hands. And sometimes he'll just sit there like form shooting while the game is going on. Like just, just form shooting, <laughs> practicing his jumper over his head. And it, it's the most relatable a seven foot six NBA player could possibly be because he's, he's just watching an NBA game, sitting back, working on his jump shot form. Like, like I'd be doing on the couch, like you'd be doing on the couch. And it's for whatever, it just warms my heart. Taco taco gives off a lot of joy. And I, I tried to take a, a video of it yesterday, but we're like behind plexiglass. And by the time I got a good view, he was done doing it. Uh, so next time he does it, I'm going to try to get a video, but it really is just, for whatever reason, it just warmed my heart. Um, 
it's funny because the new bench area gives them like a whole lot more space to move around. Like they're not all like kind of huddled together. And so you, I feel like they're much more active and just like walking around the bench area and do like Jason Tatum often goes, sits down in the cool down chair and we'll watch from there. It's like, it's just a totally different environment, but I didn't, I did not see taco practicing the shot. Yeah, Is this just giant limbs right in front of your view of the game? It it's it's fantastic because it really is like like what you'd be doing if you had a ball in your hands at home, you know. And he's just doing it in the garden on the team that he plays for. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. So despite the loss to the Bulls, like process-wise, I think you have to accept it, just being down all those injuries. But results-wise, results are coming into play more because the Celtics, with that loss, uh, fell a half game behind the Atlanta Hawks for the four seed. They're now tied with the Knicks for the sixth seed. And they're only the Heat, who are on the seventh seed, are only one game back. So they're, if injuries go a certain way or they drop a couple of games or close games, we could see them drop in the standings pretty quickly. And I really, you just don't want to play in the playing game. Uh, it's, it's embarrassing to be have to play in the first playing game. Uh, it means that you're going to have to play the Sixers or the Nets in the first round. But the standings have become so much more important. And I'm guessing, Curious, Jay, where you think the Celtics stack up with the Hawks, the Knicks, and the Heat? And I'll throw good friends, uh, Charlotte Hornets, as coached by Nick Friedman, with LaMelo Ball coming back uh, in the mix. Where? How do you think the Celtics do over the next 14 games? To Where do you think they end up? I think they will be in the 4-5 game at the end of it. I think that's most obvious. They're, they're playing good basketball. You know, with the exception of these, this non-COVID illness going around, they've gotten guys healthy. Evan Fournier should come back soon, could play as soon as Thursday in their next game. So I, I think they're poised and their schedule isn't too hard the rest of the way. So I think they're poised to stay in the four or five game. Um, obviously, home court advantage would be nice for them. But if they play the Hawks, like I think, think they'd probably win that series anyway. Uh, even though the Hawks are talented, like they've just never been there before. Those their best players have have never seen the playoffs, and the Celtics have a lot of playoff experience. Their best players, even though they're young, like they've been in the Eastern Conference Finals basically every year. So I think, and their will- defense is so much better now than it has been or was when they played the Hawks earlier in the season. Okay. I think they would have a better answer for Trey Young being able to switch everything than they were playing double bigs. Let's let's rank possible opponents if the Celtics do make the four or five games. For who? The, like, in order of difficulty. So number one is most difficult. I think it'd have to be the Heat. Yeah. Like, they're just – because they've been there, although – Tyler Hero is apparently a prima donna who only worries about his own cereal and all the heat heat culture is fracturing left and right and Jimmy Butler's calling the team soft. They still have Jimmy Butler and Bam, and we just saw what happened last year. It's not that – like Jay Crowder, I'm a huge Jay Crowder fan. I think he's important, but I still think the Miami Heat just 
like given what they did last season, have the potential to to beat the Celtics and have just the most star power than any team. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I agree with you, but I also think like the Heat, they're not playing nearly as well. Their offense has been pretty bad all season. They're they're ranked twenty fourth in offensive efficiency. I think like Duncan Robinson is their only player above thirty four point three percent from three. Oh, you've been doing your research. You're just getting prepared for the next uh, basket buds where you can slander the Heat again. I like this. No, I'm not. I'm not even slandering them. Like that is just fact, and that is just an absurd fact. Um, yeah, but their defense hasn't their defense been very good over the like the last twenty games. Yeah, th- their defense is good. Like you don't want to. Face Bam and and Jimmy Butler and if he's right, Goran Dragic. But like, like to have Duncan Robinson. I guess Kendrick Kendrick Nunn is is up there a little bit, and Trevor Ariza since he got there is above thirty seven. Um, but most of their high volume guys are like Goran Dragic, thirty four point eight percent. Hero, thirty three point one percent. Bam, twenty five. Jimmy, twenty three point two. And I'm I'm ready to listen to arguments for the Hawks being like, more last dangerous. Year they were an incredible shooting team, and this year they haven't even been close to that, which is interesting. And it may, maybe it won't matter in the playoffs. Maybe it's just one of those factors of a weird season. Um, but they're not playing at nearly the level that they were last season in the bubble. So and the Hawks, I, I would still have... put them the most dangerous, though. Like Jimmy and Bam are just motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> They're motherfuckers. What and you- Robinson and Hero, they've been through it. And and they they're dangerous. You know, the Celtics felt the brunt of that last season in the playoffs. And so they're the team that they're definitely number one. So I think the obvious next team is the Hawks, just because they like they have the benefit of the in season vibe change uh change of the coach, Nate McMillan coming in. They've just been very good since then. They aren't fully healthy because they've been out with uh, DeAndre Hunter for a while, who was playing well for them. But since Bogdanovich has come back, like their team has just looked a lot better. John Collins is playing pretty well. Clint Capella, uh, like they have to be the the next most difficult team uh, just because we've seen them score a lot of points. Trey Young can just put up a lot of points and – they're playing good basketball right now. And so despite them never being it before, I, I am not scared of the Knicks, not scared of the Hornets. Um, and so it would like the Atlanta, I think at least would be a good series. Yeah. Atlanta, they have a lot of talent and you know, they're, they're getting healthier. Bogdanovich is very important for them. Uh, Trey, very tough, extremely tough to guard. So yeah, they're, they're next. And, like they could win a they could win a playoff series. It's not totally out of the picture, but I just think they've got to prove it first. Um, they've got to prove that their defense can hold up in the playoffs. Like Trey Young is going to get attacked. Oh yeah, heavily, like heavily. And then after after the Hawks, I'd go with New York. New York to me is sort of like. Uh, they're like the Pacers of a couple years ago who the Celtics swept in the first round, like just a super tough team, 
that doesn't have nearly enough offensive creation when it matters most. Their, their defense is awesome. Julius Randle has been ridiculous lately. But they I can't just, score, man. They just don't have enough shot creation to to survive a full playoff series. But you could come out of a playoff series with New York, like scarred, bruised, battered. They're tough and physical. I don't want the Celtics to play the Knicks just because it's going to be four to, I would say, five rock fights where it's just an ugly game where they really slow it down. I just think like playoff basketball, when the games do slow down, their offenses, half-court offense is already not good. I just think it's going to get so much worse. Uh, Like I think they're a tough team, but I just don't believe in them as like a playoff team. I think you're uh, you're underselling the coaching work that Nick Freeman could do with LaMelo Ball returning. He fractured his wrist and came back in like six weeks. He's got super bones just recovering from fractures left and right. And the revenge factor of Gordon Hayward, Terry Rozier, coming into the garden, stealing a couple games. A lot of Celtic, former Celtics coaches are on the Nets ro- or the Hornets roster too. You don't want to really mess with revenge in situations like this. Yeah, I, I'm just not sold on the overall talent level there. Um, and again, like LaMelo's been very good, but what's a rookie guard going to do in the playoffs? But After- if you're playing them, they're, you're probably playing them in the 7-8 uh, playing game and anything can happen in one game like Lamelo ball could just go off Gordon Hayward could have one of his wacky 40 point nights Terry Rozier I don't know what do you what are your thoughts on the playing game because we see a lot of like Mark Cuban's bitching about it Danny Ainge was asked about it on the broadcast last night and he said he wasn't a fan of it I've seen people saying it sucks I don't really know why what the exact argument is for why it's bad but I think it just made it like things a lot more interesting and I see no reason why like what the negative is I don't want the Celtics to play in it, but like the fact that it exists, that there's going to be some elimination basketball games before the playoffs start I, is, is awesome. Do the Bulls deserve a game in the postseason? No. Do the Wizards deserve a shot at a game that matters? Absolutely not. However. However, they're going to get a theater. shot. It's going to provide good theater. Like, I'm I'm not going to be the one rooting against Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook fighting for their playoff lives in a play-in NCAA-style basketball game. Like, it's not going to be me. Exactly you're, you're not going to get me to complain that, that Steph Curry has a better chance of playing games that matter this season because his Golden State Warriors are right now in ninth place and should have to be in the playing. Like, the playing game in the West – Dallas, Memphis, Spurs, Warriors. That could be fun. That could be a lot of fun. fun. But Especially- I'm, I'm, I'm kind of with the the critics of this in that, like the Bulls, the Bulls and Wizards really should have no shot. They, they should. Well, it's They're nine games arbitrary. under 500. Nine games under 500, and we're gonna give them a chance versus the Hornets, who have been a pleasant surprise and playing way above their. They have heads. to win right two now, games. They have to win two games just for a chance to get their asses kicked by the one seed. We're acting like the it's a, such a big deal. Like the 
like the Hornets are going to do anything with the 76ers in the first round. Like what is, what is the big deal about giving, what if Zach Levine just goes on a run of just like scoring 40 points a night? That seems cool. He knocks off two teams and then they're the eighth seed. Like instead of the, the Hornets or the Knicks, like, come on, what are we talking about here? It's just fun. It just makes things more interesting. Yeah. It, it, it does make things more interesting, but it also gives a chance to teams that don't deserve it. So, but what chance does it give them? It gets them a chance to get smoked in the first round. It just, and hopefully, teams don't like. I feel like we're seeing considerably less tanking this year. Um, are we? I mean, some teams are just really, really bad. I think the lottery odds have more to do with kind of the less tanking. But uh, I don't know. I just think it's interesting. Do not want the Celtics to play in it because it would really suck to be the seven seed and then lose to the eight seed and then lose another game and not make the playoffs. But as long as that team's not the Celtics, I think it's just great for uh, content and just great for, um, you know, making fun of teams online, slandering teams like, oh, you lost the playing game. They were fun in the bubble last year when, like, Dame was making his run. I just, yeah, like – It's great theater. It's going to be great theater. All right. I'm glad we can agree. It's a, it's a great time. Just don't want the Celtics going to be there. Now it's time for the world-famous Potable Six Pack. Just to announce, we are currently potable six-pack free agents. Uh, is We still love our good friends at Night Shift, but they're, they paid for their advertisements run out. And so if any company out there wants to sponsor the world-famous potable six-pack, uh, please let us know because people are constantly talking about this segment where Jay and I pick the six most important things to happen from the kind of just last couple days in the Celtics universe. There's a lot of events that uh, occurred uh, especially with the huge game, the afterglow of the Warriors game, Daniel Tice's return, many things to pick from the potable six-pack. Jay, I will give you the first pick of the most important thing to happen over the last two or two games or four days from the Celtics. I'm going to go with, obviously, Jason Tatum was would be the obvious number one overall pick, but I'm, I'm going to zig a little bit when everyone else is zagging. That's what the potable six-pack's about. Jabari Parker. The guy had 11 points in his debut. He was playing crunch time minutes against the Warriors and making an impact. He had some big buckets in that game. He's had many buckets since joining the Celtics. It took him like 10 minutes to score more for the Celtics than he did with the Kings all season before they waived him. I don't know where it'll go from here. But it's been fun so far. Yeah, no, he's he's applying to be the new two point daddy because the man's a bucket, uh, especially close to the rim. I think it's a great first pick. My first pick, uh, and I get the next two, is Marcus Smart knocking down that huge three in the end of the Warriors game after he got the offensive rebound, kicks it around, does the fake pass to Kemba, and has just a, so much time to knock down that shot and kind of takes like an extra pause and beat like having too much time to hit an open three is almost like it's worse. You have to think about it more. You never see that someone just like be calm and knock down the extra beat three when he's wide open. I just thought it was a cool moment to get the offensive rebound. And then to like, he took what four seconds to shoot that. It was absurd of like how long he took to make sure he got it right. And it was a huge shot that basically won the Celtics that game. Yeah, that was 
ridiculous offensive rebound. Just not many guys at six foot three make that play in the NBA. Just very few. And then to get it back and drill a three in this in the same possession, big time stones from Marcus Smart. My second pick is going to be the Tice reunion tour. Um he got a nice uh, a nice ovation. I was a little upset they didn't give him a tribute video, but I understand that not a lot of people in the crowd. But it was just funny to see him still pick up the same calls. He almost fouled out. He had five fouls. He got literally punched in the face by Tristan Thompson and no foul whatsoever. The war on Tice continues. It's a little uglier when you're, your side's the one uh, perpetrating the violence. But I also thought it was funny for a, a, a stretch there in the third quarter especially. It was him and Vucevic in the game at the same time, and it was just a, a double big lineup had come back to hurt the Celtics again. And I thought it was just a nice moment for Tice to uh, to get his revenge in a double big lineup hurting the Celtics. I thought it was, it was just magnificent. I mean, what a what a return for Tice. His final he, moment was missing the game winning shot, and then he comes back and just he got a seal foul. <laughs> The thing that he learned, he mastered in Boston. Brad Stevens and the Celtics coaching staff taught him to do that. They repeatedly hammered home that he needed to do the Gortat screens. And it was something he mastered. But this season, refs turned against him in that that play. And he's been called for it a lot more. And to get called for it against the Celtics, who taught him that, was just fantastic. Brad Stevens is probably arguing the call on the sideline, even though it went for his team. <laughs> Just out of reflex. Yeah. And then, you know, a lot, number of questionable calls against Tice, per usual. It was classic, classic war on Tice type of game. But, but he's, found a, he's found a home in Chicago, and he's playing well for them. And, and doesn't he deserve game. to play in the playoffs? Doesn't Danny Two Blocks deserve to get his shine? Not on that 24 and 33 <laughs> roster. Nope. <laughs> uh, so that that's that's a solid pick. I will, I'll I'll go one further. I'm gonna pick the hugs between Celtics players and Tice and Javante Green after the game. Just very heartfelt, you know. Javante Green is like Jason Tatum's best friend or one of his very best friends. So it, it, I'm sure it's been tough for them not not being on the same team. Um, Green FaceTimed into Jason Tatum's press conference after he scored 40-whatever points against the Warriors. And then just heartfelt, heartfelt hugs. Javante, he went over, hugged Deuce for a while. Like It was just a very heartfelt scene on the parquet floor. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll go with that. And then next, I'm going with... Jalen Brown starting six for six to extend his ridiculous shooting from the Lakers game to like, what was it, 23 for his last 26 from the field, and one of those was a heave? That's that's ridiculous. That stretch deserves mention in this six-pack. That stretch was special efficiency, and they probably should have gotten him more shots. He also hit a Huge pull-up three over old friend Daniel Tice. Oh, yeah. He was sizing up Daniel Tice. As soon as he crossed half court, he knew he was pulling up on Daniel Tice. That was that was nice to see. Jalen Brown has just been very 
solid. And uh, as soon as he gets into the paint and that like fadeaway jumper that he has, he doesn't seem to miss that. It's been uh, mighty impressive. For the final pick in the potable six pack, I'm going with um, the Celtics hobbies. They're back again now that fans are here to running like goofy segments on the video board. And they asked all the Celtics players if they picked up any hobbies in the off or during the pandemic. Most of the guys were boring. It was just like, no. Hayden Pritchard said he's reading. Jalen Brown, of course, is doing graphic design. But the best is that Robert Williams has taken the pandemic to, to learn some things. And he uh, watches a lot of documentaries, specifically the serial killer documentaries. And it's just perfect. Anytime Robert Williams has had a segment on the video board, it's uh, usually electric. He's a, a fascinating individual. And I love that he's just been um, just been binging true crime during the, the entire pandemic. I thought it was just a nice touch. I, I miss the goofy, dumb stuff of like getting to know the players a little bit or like showing their personality that's been absent in this kind of zoom world we live in yeah i'm surprised i guess you were at the arena too um that you didn't go with danny ainge commentary because it it sounds like he was pretty harsh (laughs) i was listening in i was actually listening in what like and there were a couple like moments behind the game he was pretty it was funny he had one moment tremont came in he goes a little surprised to see tremont in the game right now and he just had like kind of comments about that uh all night like he's just not allowed to talk about any of the Bulls players, which is interesting because like of tampering rules. But yeah, he was watching the game and it was pretty much like like a fan and was like disappointed. It was like we're playing shit defense here. He didn't say that obviously because it's Danny Ainge, but uh, it was just kind of funny. I don't know if it's sustainable for a full season, but he said so, he kept on calling him uh, Romeo Romy, which I just feels weird to me. Like it just feels yeah, like, like infantilizing uh, a person who's your. Uh, who works for you. Yeah, then he, he brought out the Big Bird moniker for Luke Cornett, who had a thunderous dunk, by the way. Right. Thunderous dunk by Luke Cornett. Um, and then it, it sounded like Danny was pretty harsh on Grant Williams based on how my timeline was reacting. I don't know what he said. I don't know what was going on, but I guess he was pretty critical of Grant Williams's play. I don't remember it, so it could have happened, but I'll believe the timeline. I don't know. The timeline's been so much uh, healthier lately since the vibes have changed. Have you noticed that? Less people are furious in your mentions. Yeah. Yeah, although the, the, some of the vitriol still remains. After oh, of course. One loss brought the people out of the woodworks, which normally doesn't. Like When times have been good for a while, it takes like two or three straight losses to get people riled up, but... Did you see the soccer fans all at my neck yesterday? <laughs> I did see you. You've pissed off hockey fans, which I'm always going to get behind. Uh, and then pissed off the soccer fans, which was also fantastic. I, I, I literally just asked a couple of questions. I didn't understand because I don't pay any attention to soccer. So I just didn't understand what was going on. And I, I read about it. You knew I, you knew what was going on. You framed that question as a kind of a... a as a dig no that was in my head that was like the comparison that came up and i knew it must be wrong because that wouldn't really make sense so i posed my theory as a question so people would tell me where i was wrong and then people told me where i was wrong you said that basically like the uh, compared 
all the other European teams to G League teams and the teams in the Super League to NBA teams. Well, that, that's kind of how it was presented in the stories I read. Like, like they've been playing scrub ass teams for no, it, forever. It would be like if you counted the Magic or like the Pistons as a scrub ass team, and then just like the top eight teams in the NBA moved to create their own team. Like they're still good, and then the top tier, they're just they're not G League teams. Yeah. And yeah, I don't even I, like soccer. I'm happy you pissed off the soccer folks. That's funny to me. Hockey passionate. can get it too. Hockey they're is a passionate. dumb sport. Come at me, bro. I got called like a a fat, daft wanker or something. <laughs> that one was good. I don't I don't even know really what it means, but He's I not know. wrong. I think that's an accurate fat, daft wanker. I think that's the uh, an accurate description and a, a great place for us to end it. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. We'll be back with another episode uh, this week. And uh, if you enjoyed the show, please rate it five stars. Do all those good things. Uh, and thank you for listening to this episode of NXTGAS Palabos!